Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Tuesday, December the 31st edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we have got a busy one. Xavier Howard arrested on domestic dispute charges, the fallout from that, and the removal of three Dolphins assistants, including the surprise of the day, offensive coordinator Chad O'Shea fired who might be in line to replace him. Plus, Chris Greer and Brian Flores met with the media for 15 minutes. We'll get you the key details from that presser. We'll jump into the aftermath from Sunday's win and give you some crazy stats with regards to Miami's present roster. All of that and more on a jam-packed Tuesday. But first, real quick, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. We jumped into the top 100 on Monday at the recap show. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. Follow the show at Locked on Fins. We're going to follow you back and check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have the aftermath and the commentary from the press conference all up on LOD.com. Right now, let's jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. The first news of the day is some somber stuff coming from Dolphins star cornerback Xavier Howard, who was arrested early Monday morning on charges of a domestic dispute. Allegedly, Xavier Howard grabbed the woman by her arms and pushed the woman up against a glass wall in their house, and it all came over an undisclosed purchase of a purse. The woman, who is Howard's girlfriend, also tripped over X's crutch, which was nearby on the floor, and the report only stated some redness around the areas where X had grabbed her on the arms. The Dolphins declined to comment beyond the fact that they are gathering more information, and it was the final question of that press conference on Monday, specifically about whether or not X will be on the team next year, and Flores did not confirm or deny, rather stating that the team would gather information and that he hadn't even talked to Xavier about the situation yet, and Flores was definitely visibly upset by the situation because this really puts a cloud over the Dolphins' big win on Sunday. And that's just how these pressers go. These coaches are not going to give you a whole lot. The former Patriots disciples in them don't want to dispel a lot of information. And we'll talk more about some of those questions in the third segment. But first, one of those questions was asked about the potential removal of some assistance on the Dolphins staff. And then just an hour later, the Dolphins did make three changes to their coaching staff. And we start with maybe two of the more obvious choices to make a move. First, offensive line coach Dave DeGugliamo, who replaced Pat Flaherty back in training camp on day four after being named a consultant in the summer. And there were some obvious changes that occurred right when DeGugliamo got the job. He took Chris Reed out of the lineup, who basically became a forgotten man and eventually was released by the Dolphins. And Flaherty did not want to play rookies, keeping Michael Dieter and Shaq Calhoun on the bench. And then once DeGugliamo took over, both those guys were in starting positions. The Dolphins ranked 32nd on pro football focus in both run blocking and pass blocking grades this season so probably an easy decision there and as CK Parrott Chris Chris Kaufman stated on Twitter Mark Colombo you recall him from that 2011 season makes a lot of sense as a replacement on the offensive line as the coach he's been fired off the Cowboys staff and he played with Flores at Boston College again that note comes from Chris Kaufman Tony Oden was also fired 
He was the only holdover on defense from Adam Gaze's staff. Eric Studsville, the running backs coach and running game coordinator, remains on the staff as the only holdover from the Adam Gaze regime. And I'll tell you this, Eric Studsville is respected to a man across the board. His running backs did not perform that well this year, and they made some curious decisions as far as playing Kalen Balaj, who is Studsville's boy, grew up watching him in Colorado, and they were both there together in high school and Studsville with the Broncos. But Studsville, I'd imagine, is safe. He is one of the most respected men in that building. But the big shot came on the offensive side of the ball with the dismissal of Chad O'Shea, former Patriots receivers coach coach and red zone coordinator and I lauded O'Shea throughout the entire season because I thought he did an excellent job scheming up guys open down the field particularly the receivers who Carl Durrell worked with as well getting the best production out of Dolphins receivers in quite some time this was a shock on Dolphins Twitter but the most reasonable explanation came from a Bills fan and the host of Locked On Bills, other outlets tried to piggyback on the report shamelessly, but Joe Marino had it first. He speculated, and Kyle Krabs of the Dolphins Wire, both those guys of the Draft Network, he was in on this as well. He mentioned the move was made to preserve quarterback coach Jerry Shaplinski's position on the roster, or on the staff, I should say, as the Patriots are expected to lose Josh McDaniels to a head coaching job, and he was going to bring Shaplinski with him to Indianapolis last year when he initially took that job, so it would be safe to assume that McDaniels would once again look to poach the Dolphins quarterbacks coach and make him their offensive coordinator. Now, does that mean that Shaplinski is the next offensive coordinator of the Dolphins? Not necessarily. He could be in line for some type of promotion as the Dolphins likely will have to do that in order to retain his services, but expect some big names to be considered here. I talked about Brian Flores' most impressive trait upon his hiring being the assembling of a good coaching staff around him. And part of that was Jim Caldwell and now after missing the entire season with a health concern, Jim Caldwell has a clean bill of health. He announced it publicly and once he did that he was brought up in many circles as a head coaching candidate in 2020. He could be in line to take that job and work with the Dolphins quarterbacks next season and the offense in general. But I was most impressed by the fact that Flores last year when he was first brought in to interview for the job brought up names like Cliff Kingsbury and Greg Roman as his top choices for offensive coordinator now he didn't land either of those guys and they found great landing spots one a head coach can't pass that up and Greg Roman got the job of making Lamar Jackson what he is but I was so excited about the possibility of those guys because they both work with mobile athletic run type of quarterbacks and I thought maybe that could signal a trade-up for Kyler Murray before he even caught fire as the number one pick that year he became pretty much impossible to seize but at the time I thought Miami had a shot and the promise of utilization of a mobile quarterback, a trait that both Flores and Greer at last year's combine said was one of their top three traits among a quarterback, how they're wired, their accuracy, and mobility. So maybe they want to go in that direction and go more towards a quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator who will benefit a quarterback who can move and run the football. So maybe it's Shaplinski, maybe it's Caldwell, or maybe it's one of two college offensive coordinators. And I guess technically Joe Brady isn't the LSU OC, but rather the pass game coordinator there and he's going to get a huge promotion from somebody this year college or the NFL he made Joe Burrow a thing because you recall last season without Joe Brady Joe Burrow was kind of an every man's quarterback and he did this coming off a two-year stint with the Saints as an offensive assistant working with Drew Brees there and many people have compared Tua Tungavailoa to Drew Brees so maybe we can connect those dots that way and if it is in fact Tua they take with the fifth pick in the draft maybe they circle around Steve Sarkeesian the 
Alabama offensive coordinator as an option to come to Miami. Sark did say, quote, I wish I could coach Tua Tungavailoa forever, end quote. So maybe that makes some sense too. All in all, a crazy Monday, a crazy Black Monday for the Miami Dolphins coming off the best win of the season, probably the best win of the last couple of years. And next, we're going to come back and talk about that game and the aftermath, the snap counts, all the key stats. But first... We talk, we talk about fitness a lot, but there's, but there's a side of the game that's just as important. I'm talking about your mental fitness. Calm, the number one app for app for and meditation, has teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind. LeBron and Calm know that your mind is like any other muscle in the body, and Calm can help you train your brain so you sleep better, have less have rest strength, and perform your very best. For LeBron James, sleep is an important part of his mental fitness routine. He says, quote, getting good sleep and finding time to rest is one of the most valuable things I can do for my body and mine, end quote. And if you head to calm.com slash locked on, you'll get 40% off a Calm premium membership. With Calm, you have access to the nature scenes LeBron loves, like rain or leaves, and so much more, like sleep stories and meditations. For a limited time only, our listeners can join LeBron in using Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership at calm.com slash locked on unlock content to help you focus ease stress and sleep better get started today at calm.com slash locked on that's calm.com c-a-l-m.com slash locked on The last Tuesday Aftermath podcast here on Locked On Dolphins, the number one Miami Dolphins podcast in the land. Of course, we were in the top 100 for all the downloads you guys gave us on the post-game recap podcast on Sunday and Monday, up around 10,000 for that episode. So we greatly appreciate all the support, and we're going to bring you the best coverage of this Miami Dolphins team for 365 days a year in 2020, just as we did in 2019. And now I'll shift your focus to the article up on Locked On Dolphins. Dolphins.com, the final aftermath. And I spoke about this in the preview column. The Dolphins have only lost four games two times since joining the NFL in 1970. When the Finns were in the, in the AFL, they were not any good. But talking about NFL strictly going forward, the Dolphins had two seasons where they won just four games, 2004 and 2007. On Sunday, by winning over the New England Patriots, they went ahead and made that official. Still only two seasons with four or less wins. And they did it by overcoming the three-score underdogs status, which again was the most improbable win in the last three decades as far as Vegas spreads go in the National Football League, and they did it with passing the football against the NFL's stingiest defense. I heard a different number here from Pro Football Focus, which we'll reference here in a second, that Ryan Fitzpatrick was under pressure on 31 of his 50 dropbacks, took just two sacks, didn't turn the ball over, moved the chains 26 times, 11 times more than the Patriots allowed per game coming in. He had over 300 passing yards, where the Patriots held 10 quarterbacks this year under 200 yards and that included a 13 play 75 yard game winning drive to put a nice bow on the end of the season and the Dolphins also made winners of everyone that bet on their season win total which never got higher than 4.5 wins even before the trades of Laramie Stills Laramie Tunzel, Kenny Stills, and Minka Fitzpatrick. They made fools of all the analysts that called their effort and the entire operation a disgrace to the game. And in doing so, they also forced the Patriots into a wildcard weekend game for the first time since 2009. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, despite starting just 13 games this year, posted his third highest yardage total in his 15-year career. 
The Dolphins finish out the season ranking 27th in total offense, 12th in passing, last in rushing, and 25th in scoring. They had the 18th most efficient red zone offense, and the 34.3% third down conversion rate was 28th in football. The Dolphins' defensive rankings pretty much dipped into irreparable levels in the first month of the season. They allowed better than 30 points in all four of those games, with 59 and 43 points in the first two games. And the Dolphins' defense only allowed 30 or more points in four of the final 12 games, if you exclude Buffalo. Buffalo's onside kick return to give them 31 back in October the 20th in that game. But Sunday was the Dolphins' best effort. They used eight defensive backs for a total of 301 snaps in the game. Seven of those eight players, with Eric Rowe as the exception, were either undrafted rookies or players who were acquired in season for the Dolphins. Impressive, impressive work from the Dolphins' defensive staff. And the result was an 88.4 passer rating in the game from Tom Brady. That was on track with Brady's season mark, but nearly 10 points lower than his career mark in the passer rating department. The Dolphins' defense finishes 30th in total, 26th in passing, 27th in rushing, and last in scoring. Their red zone defense finishes 27th in preventing touchdowns, and the 41.8% third down conversion rate finished 24th in the NFL. The Dolphins had the 11th highest blitz frequency. They were 21st in quarterback knockdown rate, and last in hurry rate, pressure rate, and sacks. They missed 109 tackles, which was 10th most in the NFL, but again, nobody was on the field more than the Dolphins' defense. They also finished fourth in fewest penalties assessed and fourth in fewest penalty yardage against the Dolphins. As far as snap counts go on the offensive side of the ball, Ryan Fitzpatrick and the entire offensive line, Julian Davenport, Michael Dieter, Daniel Kilgore, Shaq Calhoun, and Jesse Davis each played every single snap, all 68 of them. At running back, the Dolphins were completely limited to two guys. They gave Patrick Laird 61 snaps and Samaji P. Ryan just six in the game. Chandler Cox had one snap and Devontae Parker, as well as Albert Wilson were both out there for every snap but one. They both played 67. Isaiah Ford got 53 reps and that was it for the receivers. Mac Hollins got two. So all Parker, Wilson and Ford. At tight end, Gasicki had 51. Durham Smythe had 27. And Adam Pankey came into the game for eight snaps on a heavy offensive line. Panky in four run-blocking reps earned the highest Dolphins run-blocking grade. He also was kept clean in four pass protection reps. Julian Davenport had the most pressures allowed with five, and Michael Dieter allowed four. The left side of the offensive line was a problem all year long for the Dolphins, but the good news is the Dolphins probably identified their starting right tackle for next season as Jesse Davis closed out a strong December to emphatically state his case for that job next season. He allowed two pressures in this game. Over the course of five games in December, he allowed just 10 pressures. Pressures. Seven of those were hurries, only three hits on the quarterback, and none of them were sacks from Jesse Davis. He allowed just one penalty in the final two months of the season. Shaq Calhoun allowed one pressure, but it was a sack. He also had the second best run blocking grade in the game behind Michael Dieter but it was Durham Smythe who had the best run blocking grade of the entire team. He had a higher grade than 70 from Pro Football Focus in three of the final five games with two of those being elite grades. I talked about him getting better. Pro Football Focus agrees in that regard. Mike Kosicki had just five yards per target, but he did average 5.3 yards after the catch and of course the game winning touchdown. Devontae Parker is the guy we got to talk about in this segment. He was nearly unstoppable against the league's premier cornerback. He caught eight of 11 total targets, averaged 4.3 yards after the catch and 12.5 yards per target, but his numbers against Gilmore were even better. He caught seven of nine targets for 119 and five first downs. Gilmore entered Sunday, allowing just 6.5 yards per target. Parker doubled that with 13.2 yards per target on the game's best corner. 
J.C. Jackson has been one of the game's best slot corners this season, but that means nothing to Isaiah Ford, who caught four of five targets against Jackson. Three of those moved the chains, and Ryan Fitzpatrick, not the best under pressure, a 75.3 passer rating, but he did have a 112.3 passer rating when not pressured, and a 92 passer rating against the Blitz. He completes three of seven passes beyond 20 yards for a total of 76 yards on those seven throws. His 99.6 passer rating and 7.8 yards per pass were both the third highest marks this year against the Patriots defense behind Lamar Jackson and Deshaun Watson, and both those games came on the road for the Patriots. Patrick Laird had the fewest yards after contact once again, just 1.9 yards. Samaj P. Ryan had 3.2 yards after contact on average, and Ryan Fitzpatrick finished with three yards after contact. Patrick Laird moved the chains on two of his 11 carries. On the defensive side of the ball, Christian Wilkins once again leads the way in snaps. He played 43. That's good for 70% of the snaps. And Miami did outsnap New England in this game, 68 to 61. Devon Godshaw played 36 of those 61 snaps. John Jenkins was up next at 28. He gets the bump up over Zach Sealer, who plays just 12 snaps this game after playing over 40 snaps against the Bengals. Charles Harris plays nine. Avery Moss plays two. Jerome Baker leads all linebackers. He did not leave the field with 61 reps. Andrew Van Ginkle missed just one snap. He played 60 downs in this game. He had a hell of a game as well. Trent Harris was also out there a lot. 56 reps. Calvin Munson gets 40 reps. Kind of the Rayquad McMillan replacement. And Sam McGuavin gets just 15. So he kind of took his job on the defense as well. And Dion Lacey played just one snap. In the secondary, Nick Needham, Eric Rowe, and Adrian Colbert all did not leave the field with 61 snaps. Tay Hayes plays 40 snaps in the game. Nate Brooks plays 30. Walt Aikens, 28. Montre Hardage, 20. Stephen Parker, 6. And Mac Hollins was on the field for that lateral play. No tight ends, just a 6'4 athletic receiver to get back there and help the Dolphins track guys down as the Patriots attempted their own Miami Miracle. Wilkins had the top PFF grade, although I'm not sure how. He didn't have any pressures in the game. He made two tackles, and they were both good for run stops. Devon Godshaw made four tackles in the game, all of those for run stops. And John Jenkins had the only pressure on the defensive line, a hurry, but he was the 20th graded player on the team for the day. Jerome Baker was the only defender with a lower grade than Jenkins. He was 21st on the team. He had one pressure on six pass rush snaps, made seven tackles, and one of those for a run stop. He also missed a tackle in the game. Andrew Van Ginkle, I thought, had the best day of any Dolphins defender. Seven tackles, four for run stops, two for a loss. He hit Brady twice and allowed just four yards receiving with his pass coverage. And Tay Hayes checks in with a big game. The Patriots targeted him six times and he allowed zero catches on those targets. He did get flagged for one pass interference. Trent Harris fills up the stat sheet with two pressures and the only sack of the game on Tom Brady. He made five tackles, four of those for run stops. He did miss one. He did get tabbed for the coverage on the 38-yard touchdown pass to Elandon Roberts, but I consider that more of a team bust than giving it to Trent Harris. And Eric Rowe finishes out his strong season with a big day. He allowed just seven yards receiving on three targets and he picked off Brady going back the other way for six so he basically scored as many points as he did receiving yards allowed. And perhaps my favorite stat from the entire game or the entire season, I should say, is the fact that Devontae Parker finished fifth on the team in receiving in 2018 with just 301 receiving yards. And this year he finishes fifth in the entire league with 1,202 yards. 
a big, big jump from him. And just to finish off this segment, some stats from Brett of the Dolphins Communications Department. I'm just going to give you his handle because I cannot pronounce his last name. He's at B Brech on Twitter. The Dolphins had 389 total yards in the game. That was the most allowed by the Patriots since December 9th, 2018 at Miami, which of course was the Miami Miracle. And the Dolphins kicker Jason Sanders now has enough field goal attempts to be among the Dolphins' all-time leaders in career field goal percentage. He is 41 of 50. That's 82%, the best in team history with minimum 50 attempts on the season. And to go back to Parker here real quick, he's the third player this year to have 100 receiving yards against the Patriots. Cole Beasley did it and Golden Tate did it. He also has his fourth 100 receiving yard game of the season. That's tied for seventh most in team history. Ryan Fitzpatrick went over 200 yards passing for seven consecutive games to end the season. He also led the team in rushing and rushing touchdowns with four. He is also the oldest player to lead his team in rushing in league history. Just a crazy stat for Ryan Fitzpatrick. All right, we're going to come back on the other side here and talk about the Dolphins press conference and give you stats on the Dolphins player usage during their nine game stretch where they played over 500 football. All of that and more here next on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Lockdown Fins. We heard from Brian Flores and Chris Greer at their end-of-season press conference, about a 16-minute chat with media available on the Dolphins' Twitter and all social media accounts. You guys can check that out, or you can head to the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com where I kind of gave you the key points from that speech, from that presser, and they are very Patriot-like in the way they're measured. They're not going to tell you much. They're going to give you a day-by-day approach philosophy, all those cliches that coaches love to use. But first, before we do that, I want to put into perspective the Dolphins' 5-4 and four run to finish the season after starting 0-7 with a negative 161 point differential in the nine-game stretch, they did have a negative point differential at minus 26, but you can see the major discrepancy in the big differences made in that push to finish the season 5-4 and four in the final nine games. And so over nine games, you have a potential of 198 starts. That's 22 times nine. I did the math. You can check it out. I'm solid on that. But in those games, you'll have a potential of 198 starts and 40.9% of Miami starts during that time were from players who were either undrafted rookies, in-season free agent signings, or guys that were acquired via trade in-season. And when I say in-season, I mean anytime after training camp began. So Alan and Hearns counts as one of those. Evan Bame and Vince Beagle both count as in-season trade acquisitions for this Dolphins team. Of course, they made so many waiver wire moves this season and doubled the average for NFL transactions in a single season. But as far as Miami's player arrival method, incumbents from 2018 during that nine-game stretch made a total of 75 starts. So guys like Mike Kosicki, Devontae Parker, guys that had already been here this year, made 75 starts. That accounted for 37.9% of the starts in that nine-week stretch. In-season free agent acquisitions, there were 45 starts. That's good for 22.7% of the total starts. About a quarter of the starters were added to the roster in-season for the Dolphins this year. As far as pre-August free agent acquisitions, it's basically Ryan Fitzpatrick and Eric Rowe. They made 19 starts to close out the stretch of the season with a 9.6%. Undrafted rookies, Nick Needham, made 19 starts over that stretch, 9.6% as well. Rookie draft picks, Christian Wilkins, Andrew Van Ginkle, the like 
Mike, they made 17 starts. And in-season trade acquisitions, again, Bame and Beagle made 17 starts in the year. And some futures contract signings like Jamal Wiltz made six starts on the year for this Dolphins team. So a lot of guys that were passed up by everybody else in the league got to Miami and produced a 5-4 and four record this year to end the season and give the Dolphins a positive note heading into next year. And speaking of next year, Chris Greer, Brian Flores met with the media to give their end-of-season presser. And the first question everybody wanted to know about was how their approach to free agency was going to stack up with all the spending cash. Would they go heavy in free agency? Would they focus on the draft? A little bit of both. And of course, in their typical Patriots descendant form, they both passed the buck on saying anything of value there. Greer and Flores both stated that having the money doesn't mean you have to spend it. They emphasize being judicious and we are going to be, quote, very smart with our money and the salary cap, end quote. But I think the best quote came from Greer, who stated in that address that we are going to add a lot of good players. So I heard the word good and I heard the word a lot, which means I think they'll be aggressive. And they basically just kept saying, if a guy can help the football team win, we'll look into him, leave no stone unturned as they prove this season. And Greer also made it clear the team did not have to find their quarterback this year. He also danced around a question that was framed specifically towards Alabama's Tua Tungavailoa in regards to taking injury prone players. Greer kind of laughed and alluded to gathering the information so they can make the right decision when that time comes. He also said he expects Ryan Fitzpatrick to be here in training camp along with Josh Rosen, but he also made that clear. That's how they feel today. And these guys are very regimented on a day-by-day basis. So they're not going to speculate about what might happen four months down the line. And some of the questions in this presser I thought were pretty useless. Others were valuable. I thought this one was valuable. Chris Greer was asked to define the progress about year one of this massive rebuild. And he mentioned laying the groundwork and foundation and how Flores excelled in that task, just like we talked about on Sunday's podcast. A reporter also asked Flores if all of the assistants will be back and Flores would later go on to fire three of those guys in O'Shea, DeGugliamo, and Tony Oden. But he did decline to answer on the future of Jim Caldwell and also stated that everybody in the organization is being evaluated. Even myself, he says, quote, I probably should have thrown some more red flags throughout the course of the season, end quote. And he said that with a wry smile. Flores also repeated the importance of adding players with high character. Greer was asked about Flores' involvement in the roster building section of the season, this offseason, and throughout the course of the regular season. And I like this quote quite a lot. Quote, he'll be heavily involved. Brian does a great job of talking about the types of players he wants with the players we brought in throughout the season. Brian has been very open to working through the roster, waiver wire claims, and all the stuff we've been doing. I don't think it works without the collaboration of working together. He'll be as involved as he has been since day one, end quote. And the perfect capper to this podcast, Flores was asked what pleased him most about the season, and his answer referred to the team's mental makeup and their toughness up against adversity. Quote, dealing with disappointment or defeat, it either breaks you or makes you stronger. It made us stronger, and I'm really proud of that. End quote. He also mentioned the turning point of the season was when they went back to Ryan Fitzpatrick in the Washington game. I think that's pretty clear. And the final note I have is about Xavier Howard. Flores like grabbed a pen and kind of shuffled some papers around when they asked him the question. A very uncomfortable question, but he just said, we don't have all the information and he has not yet talked to Xavier about the situation. Okay, I was going to do team awards for the season on this podcast, but all the news bumped that stuff for tomorrow. So on tomorrow's show, we'll have the All-22 review. We'll get to Stephen Ross's questions that were posted up on MiamiDolphins.com and his answers to some of those questions, as well as the team awards, MVP, offensive player, all that fun stuff. We'll have that for you guys 
on the Wednesday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. But as for today's show, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. And keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for a Wednesday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, the final film review edition of the season. Your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. We'll be right back.